Have you ever had a premonition that something bad was getting ready to happen? Uh, this takes me back about 14 years ago, but I'll tell you, I, I kind of remember it as though it were yesterday. Uh, our family, we were getting ready to go on a, a short vacation. And uh, like most people, at least I think most people, I had formulated this checklist. All the things that needed to be done prior to going on vacation. I had things for work, had some things to get done out of the house, uh, just a number of things to get taken care of. So you, you kind of work your way down the list, you check off one item after the next, and you wonder at the end of the list what you left off, what's going to come back to bite you later. I think you can probably relate to that. So I got my checklist all done, uh, hit the bed, getting ready. We had to get up early the next morning, and then it happened. It was the night before we are going on our journey, and the checklist had felt complete. We are all packed up. The car had gasoline in it. Directions to our destination were mapped out, but I was restless. I was having a hard time. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. And when I did, the dream came, the premonition. I remember it being vivid as though I were actually living it out. Uh, the sun was shining in the Texas sky. We were living in Texas at the time. The sky was, was blue, just vibrant. The water in the pool looked refreshing, but it held danger within. As I made my way around the outer ledge of the pool towards the equipment room where I needed to go, our brand new puppy followed me. He was young enough to never have experienced swimming in water. And I wasn't sure that he was ready to, when all of a sudden, kaboom, he falls into the pool. Now, I knew in my dream, my premonition, that I really only had milliseconds to react. Instead of moving his feet, the puppy was beginning to sink. So, with one smooth move, I reached in and pulled him out. Adrenaline pumping. My breaths were coming fast. And then, just like that, the dream, the premonition was over. I was awake again. That next morning, uh, we were getting ready to leave. And I told my wife about the dream I had, and she kind of laughed. <clears throat> she said, you know, you, you, Luke, you've got some kind of a wacky imagination. Um, I can't argue with that. But then it happened. This, this is odd. I mean, it's crazy. But it did. Before leaving, one of the last things on my checklist was adding chemicals to our pool water to keep it stable while we were gone. I'd done it a thousand times. Around the edge of the pool, I walked, paying some attention to the voice now inside of my head, the voice telling me to be careful, and then the sound. I can hear it in my mind at this moment. Kaboom! Into the water fell, you guessed it, our new puppy. True to the premonition, his legs did not begin to paddle. I had milliseconds to react. Sure enough, I reached down, and with one fluid motion, I swept our pup into my hands, and then my arms... I grabbed a towel and dried him off, watching the look of shock that was on his face slowly dissipate. When I told my wife what had happened, she really didn't believe me, at least not at first. She said, you're making that up. That didn't really happen. I persisted. She was at best puzzled. Honestly, so was I. What just happened? How is it that what I dreamed the night before actually became came a reality. Was my mind playing tricks on me? Did the dream <clears throat> represent my own 
internal fears that had actualized was something more going on. You know, as I've thought back to that day uh, many times over the years, and I'm not altogether sure that I'll I'll ever know what that was, but I I do know this. I experienced a premonition, a feeling. Uh, This one through a dream that something bad was getting ready to happen. And the premonition served me, served me well. It was the reason that our pup was still alive and with us some 14 years later. A pup who, by the way, hated water and never went near our pool again. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a dream, a premonition, something that in essence told you something was coming, something not so good, and then it came? If you have, I believe you relate to our topic today. Today on our God Size Living Podcast, I want, I want to pick up where we left off uh, this past week. As you look at the Bible, you cannot help but become aware of the fact that over the course of history, God has, in fact, used dreams, visions, ecstasies to point men towards acts that are getting ready to unfold within the context of history. To study the Revelation, for example, is to find oneself looking at words that were relevant for the contemporary time in which John lived and wrote, yes, but whose meaning actually pushes into the times that we find ourselves in today, times yet to come. In the Revelation, God is communicating to John through an ecstatic vision. So as we've looked at the book of Daniel, we've come to appreciate the place of dreams, ecstasies, and God's communication of the future. Throughout his life, Daniel uh, found that God used dreams to point him to events that wouldn't come to fruition actually until well after his death. But it's not just events that God points us to through dreams and visions, which is what makes the section of Daniel 11 that we're looking at so significant. I, I believe Daniel's getting ready to point us toward both a someone and a something. The something that Daniel points us toward is the coming of the last period of history on earth, that time that will immediately precede the resurrection. The Bible, of course, calls this last period of time the half a time. It's a period of time that will begin with some catastrophic event that unseats all that men hold on to for their stability. But there's also a someone. The someone that God is pointing us toward is one that we typically refer to as the Antichrist. So it's my goal to walk us through what the Bible means when it refers to both Antichrists, plural, which John tells us are already active as he writes the Revelation, as well as the Antichrist. Today my hope is to point specifically toward the way in which Daniel 11 begins to help us look at what it means to live in that time that Daniel describes as that period in which we will experience the coming of the Antichrist. And I have to tell you that uh, really one, one of the things that got me thinking about this topic is a movie that hit America's movie screens this past month. If you've not heard about the movie, Nefarious is the title of it. Uh, I don't think it'll be long before you do. Uh, Fortunately, we're living in a time where there are more movies being produced independently by Christian producers than ever before. That said, not many of them make it to the big screens. And those that do 
uh, don't have tremendous stay power. They're in the theater a fairly short period of time and then gone. But there, there have been exceptions. And you think about Passion of the Christ and um, its long stay power. Now, I kind of wonder, will Nefarious be one of those with stay power? The movie is actually based upon a book written by Steve Deese in 2020 titled A Nefarious Plot to Destroy America. The, the film version of this book has been described as somewhat of a cross between the movie Silence of the Lambs, remember that, scary, and C.S. Lewis's classic book, Screwtape Letters. Believe it or not, Disney actually owns the rights to Screwtape Letters today, should they ever want to turn that book into a movie. So nefarious. The plot of the movie is pretty straightforward. Uh, a psychiatrist enters a maximum prison to interview a serial killer who's scheduled for execution. You know, I, um, I think about this a uh, number of years ago. Uh, a serial killer by the name of Ted Bundy was executed. And prior to his execution, uh, James Dobson, focused on the family, wanted to interview him, and they allowed for it. And if you've never heard that interview, go back, <clears throat> pull it up online, you can, and listen to it. it. It is fascinating to hear Dr. Dobson talk to this serial killer who is sharing the pathway that led him from... Uh, experiencing what you might call soft pornography into hard pornography into really then um, taking women and ultimately killing them. So that that's what this plot is. It's a psychiatrist. I'm going to interview this serial killer. Uh, he's going to be executed. And, and you're not quite sure what the psychiatrist expects. But you can be certain it's not what he encounters. As the interview begins, the serial killer introduces himself as a demon. <laughs> Imagine that. Hey, let's, I want to interview you. That's fine. I'm a demon. Wow. Stop, stop there for a minute. I'm going to say a couple of things. In fact, I, I want to turn this into a question because I want to invite you to think about this with me. Here's the question. In our world today, how does psychiatry as a whole treat the subject of demon possession? So uh, what I'm asking is if the movie Nefarious were based upon reality, that is how demon possession is perceived in our world today, how, how would a psychiatrist respond? So there, there was a time when I would say in answer to that question that psychiatry as a science rejected the notion of demon possession. Cer certainly is not listed as a diagnosable disorder on the MMPI. However, while it might be true that most practitioners of modern psychiatry do themselves dismiss the idea of demon possession, it's not unscientific. Practitioners of psychiatry are today trained to remain neutral enough to recognize that the perception of the patient matters more than what you believe when it comes to treatments of psychosis. So when a patient presents as believing that they're, they're demon-possessed, a psychiatrist actually today seeks to develop a treatment plan that at minimum incorporates this perception. So that's a simple way for me to say that psychiatrists in no way um, today in our modern world accept the reality of demon possession. However, they respond to patients' perceptions thereof. 
And that's kind of what we see transpire in this movie. The psychiatrist does not initially accept the premise of demon possession, but is interested in understanding how the patient or interviewee understands it. And I'm going to tell you that all of that changes as the movie progresses. So my point, I, I do believe that we live in a world that lifts science up as reality while calling things like demon possession a fiction or a perception based upon misguided thinking. However, even our modern Western world is changing. More and more people, the public, are seeing things happen in our world that defy understanding apart from something going on that is beyond the natural. Yet bring up the term Antichrist. Try it sometime. And once again, it's though a shield comes up. People look at you like you have said something tremendously odd. Antichrist, what, what's that? Demons or whatever they, they are will entertain. But the idea of Antichrist, we're not so sure about. Yet, I want you to hear this. Jesus says, there is no, as in zero, ambiguity in his words to Daniel. Chapter 11, verses 29 and following. Jesus here uses words to point forward to something bad that is coming. First to a person who's years away from Daniel's time, and then to what Antichrist will be in the last days, the days that we are currently living in right now. So I want to go there. I want to take us back to that place in Daniel 11 where we left off last week. Or in Daniel 11, we ended with verses 31 and 32, where Jesus is using language that foreshadows the coming of a king so vile that the kingdom would be challenged to its very core by his cunning, his deceitfulness, his brutal tactics. The king that Jesus is describing to Daniel is, of course, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the king of Greece, 175 BC. Now, remember with me, that when Antiochus became king, he immediately took the action of seeking to secularize the church. His goal was to destroy the church, not by burning it down, as the Babylonians had, but by corrupting it from the inside out, by corrupting first and foremost its leaders while placing threat against its adherents. So here's what I want to do today. I'm going to read this scripture. Uh, Daniel 11 verses 31 and 32. I'm going to make a couple of observations and and then I'm going to close for this week and, and bring us back into this next week uh, so that we really get this. Let, let's go to the scripture and Lord, we always pray that you give us your insights as we read your word. You, you're trying to speak into us through it. Lord, this is an important word for our time. It points us towards uh, ones that have come, ones that are here today, ones that are to come, and ultimately the Antichrist. Lord, give us your direction, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Daniel eleven thirty one 31 to 32. Just listen to the words. He writes, forces from him shall appear. And when he says from him, he's talking about a king, King Antiochus. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. They shall take away the regular burnt offering. They shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. 
Okay, here's, here's what I wanted to do today. I want you just to think about these questions. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. Okay, we, we, we're being given a dream and an ecstasy where Jesus is speaking into Daniel. He's telling him something bad is coming. Someone bad is coming. Daniel will never, he'll die before Antiochus Epiphanes IV comes. But he's being given these words. Israel is being given these words. Something bad is coming. It's going to profane the temple and the fortress. What, what does that mean, to profane the temple and the fortress? <clears throat> Second thing he says, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. So why is that significant? If I, if I were to, to go into Israel and I profane the temple, and, but beyond that, I actually stop the practices that are going on at the temple. You, you cannot do your sacrifices. What, what, am I, what impact does that have on Israel? Third thing, they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. What is that? I mean, we, we hear the word abomination. That's not good. But what is an abomination that makes desolate? And then listen to these words. He shall seduce. I think this is maybe one of the most important parts of these, these words. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. If you're breaking the covenant between God and Israel, I'm going to flatter you. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I think this premonition is about church standing strong against an enemy that is coming and that is in our time now here. I want to process that with you a little bit further next week. Um, kind of play with those questions in your mind and uh, we'll return to it. I, I really am looking forward to the next number of weeks because we're going to get into this whole study uh, of what the scripture calls the antichrists and the antichrist and I want you to get some clarity in your mind about them. Uh, th again, thank you for joining me on this. Uh, this for, for me is a great journey. Uh, certainly one that keeps my eyes open. I, I'm watching the news right now and going, whoa, we are watching this stuff that was premonition to Daniel actually become fact and true right in front of our eyes today. Let's uh, let's close. Uh, I'm just going to ask that you would pray. Pray for me. Pray for for the, the church in America today. We need that. Um, pray for, our, for my family. I'm going to be praying for your family. And then we'll come back together next week. Until then, have a God-sized week.